You know, I was sort of uh, inspired to preach on this psalm uh, from uh, the funeral on Wednesday. Jace did such a good job reading uh, Psalm 23 uh, that it sort of inspired me to maybe want to look at it a little bit more uh, that evening and then to preach a lesson on it. And so let's read the psalm together and then we'll talk about some aspects of it. So again, Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Which verses of the Bible have probably been most memorized, quoted, and read? You know, for over uh, 3,000 years, the words of this song have comforted individuals on Hallmark cards, those who are going through life struggles. Uh, James Burton Kaufman, a preacher in the Lord's Church, uh, in his commentary said that in 1937 alone, he quoted this scripture at over 100 funerals that he uh, preached that year alone. Uh, Sometimes we've seen this psalm referred to as the Nightingale Psalm. You familiar with a nightingale is? This is the bird who we're told sings uh, the sweetest during the midnight hours. You know, the, the nightingale is said to, uh, has the capability of making over a thousand different sounds. And it's said that the male, during the midnight hours, attempts to serenade the female uh, by singing its sweet song. Well, of course, Psalm 23 sings the sweetest at the midnight hours of our lives. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So, so what is it about this psalm that touches the deepest chords of the human heart. You know, why does this psalm, even to the non-believer, recognizes it as one of the greatest passages ever penned in human history? You know, why is it that when we think of Psalm 23, it comes to our minds as one of the, the greatest passages within Scripture? And what we want to do this morning is we're going to explore some of the aspects of this psalm together. Uh, uh, some of the relationships between the shepherd and his sheep. You know, another nickname uh, to this psalm is the Psalm of a Hundred Sermons. And that is so true. It's just as deep and broad and spiritually stimulating as any passages that we can read about. And so really what we're going to do this morning is we're going to stick just to verse 1. There's so much there in verse 1 that we have to talk about this morning. And so I want to share a few of these points to you. Why this psalm is just so comforting and reassuring to us, the shepherd's psalm. And so we want to notice first uh, in this psalm that the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, who is speaking? That's probably the first thing we need to ask when we read this psalm. Who is speaking? And that, of course, is David. You know, although we remember David mostly as a king, a man of great wealth, a man who controlled an army and a nation... You know, we remember his humble beginnings as a shepherd, as that shepherd boy. And it's he who is writing this psalm. Uh, But he's writing, when you read through it, uh, as one of the sheep, right? He's one of the flock. 
He's the one that's being led, being cared for, being protected. You know, that's quite different from him being a king. But now he is the one that's being led and cared for and protected. And so David, of course, is very qualified to write this psalm because he knows the ins and the outs of herding sheep. But also what I want you to focus in on there, verse one, is the word Lord. You know, if you look up into Psalm 22, verse 30, you might see this. Prosperity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. You see that word Lord there in, chapter, in, in Psalm 22, verse 30. Uh, you have a capital L, then lowercase O-R-D. You know, that's just uh, sort of our normal word Lord. But again, look at chapter 23, verse 1. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. And your translators probably capitalized that whole word, Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And what that is trying to tell us is that those are two different words. And so the, the word Lord in Psalm 23 is the, the Hebrew word Yahweh. Uh, capital Y, capital H, capital W, capital H. Which will eventually uh, will come to know as or translated differently as Jehovah. This is the tetragrammaton of the Hebrew people. Again, Yahweh. This is a, a the covenant name that God gave to His people Israel. Uh, you remember in Exodus chapter three when when uh, Moses approaches the burning bush and he's conversing with God through the burning bush, and God tells him, "I am who I am." You know, that's basically the, the meaning of the word Yahweh, that I am or he is. Uh, I am the eternal existing one. I have always been. I am the everlasting God. I am. And again, that's the, the, that's the covenant name that, that God gave to his children Israel. It's shared by no other people. It is a sacred name. It's so sacred, in fact, that, that the Jewish people dare not even speak that name. And so that's why, you know, when we look in our translations, we, you know, we don't see Yahweh or Jehovah, really. Uh, but we see that word Lord, that capital L-O-R-D. And that tells us that this is the name Yahweh. This is a special name, a special covenant name between God and his people. And so when we recite Psalm 23, when we read about Psalm 23, we ought to think that this psalm is pertaining to a people who are in a covenant relationship with God. Now, of course, in the New Testament... Those who are in a covenant relationship with God are called Christians. The Lord is my shepherd. The, the second point I want us to notice is that word shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, David using this term shepherd, it implies several very important characteristics of his relationship with the Lord. And I'm going to point out three of those. I know there's more that we could talk about, but I want to point out three of those. And of course, you know, it's often said that the Bible is its own best commentary. And so uh, if, if we flip back to John chapter 10, as we uh, look, as we read here this morning in the scripture reading, you know, John chapter 10 gives us an even better understanding of the qualities of a shepherd. You know, in John chapter 10, verse 11 and verse 14, Jesus assures us that he is the good shepherd. He's not just any shepherd, but he is the good shepherd. And verse 4 says that he calls his sheep by name and they follow him. You know, they know the voice of the shepherd. In verse 11, again, Jesus said that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You know, when a predator comes or an enemy, 
uh, the shepherd will lay down his life. He'll stand there and protect his sheep. He won't scatter. He won't run like a hireling would, but he will stand and fight. And so back in Psalm 23, you know, David uses the most comprehensive and intimate image of God there is in almost all of the Psalms. You know, instead of using a word like king or deliverer that we might see other places in the Psalms, uh, you know, and that kind of points to, you know, he's king. You know, you don't have access to a king. Uh, they're distant. They're, uh, they're a, a master, a distant master. Or even in the Psalms, you might read of the God is our rock or God is my shield. You know, and that's an inanimate object. You know, we might not uh, understand that as well. But when David says the Lord is my shepherd, you know, that, that's that's intimate. Uh, that's comprehensive. That's that's everything. Right. Uh, to be a shepherd, you are the sustainer of the sheep. You're the guide, the physician, the protector. You know, and we understand uh, if you've ever been around sheep, you know, you understand that sheep aren't the brightest uh, of animals. Uh, They just don't take care of themselves. You know, really, uh, at least what I read, they require more than any other class of livestock. You know, endless management, endless attention, meticulous care, right? Because the shepherd has to feed and water the sheep. He has to provide that green pastures. He has to ease their fear and anxieties with his rod and his staff, again, to protect them from enemies, uh, protect them from predators. He has to guide them uh, through the dangerous terrain, especially in that time period in the land of Israel. He has to make sure that they don't lose their balance and fall on their backs. You know why? Because if a sheep falls on their back, they can't get up. Uh, And so he has to do that. He has to safeguard them from insects and parasites. You you remember that verse that we just read in verse 5? You have anointed my head with oil. You know, that's sort of the imagery of a shepherd anointing a sheep's head with oil uh, to keep the insects away from them and the parasites. He has to make sure that they are all accounted for. And he even has to discipline the unruly sheep among them. Again, the shepherd is intimately ever-present with his flock. And that, of course, uh, reminds us that Scripture always points to Jesus as our only hope for salvation. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. As the shepherd is everything to his flock, Jesus is to the Christian. Again, that term shepherd, it is a very intimate image of God that David uses here in the psalm. Secondly, David also implies that he belongs to the Lord. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. I am the property of the shepherd. King David recognizes, you know, again, although he is king when he's writing this, he is a follower of the shepherd. He's not the leader. He obeys and does not command. There, there, there was a, a man by the name of W. Philip Keller, and he was a former sheep herder. And he wrote this, uh, this uh, astounding book called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And what he really does is he looks at uh, and discusses a lot of the aspects of sheep herding uh, in his life. And then also you know, compares it to Psalm 23. And in the book, it's interesting because he talks about when he purchased his first 30 ewe lambs. 
And so he, he purchased his first uh, group of lambs, 30 of them, uh, the ewe lambs. And after he had done that, his friend, who had much more experience than himself in shepherding sheep, gave him what he referred to as this razor-sharp killing knife. And he told him, now go put your mark on your sheep. And so, uh, as we understand, each shepherd, you know, puts a unique uh, mark in the ear of the sheep, cuts it into it, similar as to how we brand cattle. So the shepherd knows, you know, which sheep are his when they intermingle with the other sheep. And of course, it's a struggle to, you know, grab each sheep and to hold it down and to cut that uh, mark into its ear. But it's done to show uh, to show ownership. Well, Christians today, we also carry a mark. Uh, it's not a physical branding like, you know, putting something into our ear, but that branding is the cross. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. Are we bearing this mark that identifies us as his? You know, are we letting others know that we belong to someone else? Acts chapter 20, verse 8 Jesus purchased the church with his blood. His ownership uh, should ever be visible in our lives. His ownership of us. The ownership of the sheep came at a cost. And of course, it cost him his life. But again, by using that term shepherd, it implies that he belongs to the Lord, that he uh, is one of his sheep. And finally, number three, the sheep trust the shepherd in everything. You know, if we were to flip back to John uh, ch- chapter 10, uh, verse 27 uh, tells us that, that Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You know, sometimes we might think that the Lord's way is not the best course of action. Uh, uh, if someone's committed a sin against us, uh, you know, the Bible says to go to them, to, to talk to them about that. Well, sometimes we don't want to do that. And so we'll take our own course of action. Or sometimes we commit a public sin. And again, the Bible says that we should confess that sin uh, to one another. But again, we might say, well, you know, I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. So I'm just going to keep it to myself. And again, we sometimes will say, you know, that we know better uh, than uh, the shepherd. Uh, We might not think the Lord's way is the best course. Well, if you're in John chapter 10, uh, look one more chapter ahead in John chapter 11. This, of course, is the account of of Lazarus. Uh, Remember Lazarus, Jesus' friend, he dies. Uh, Jesus is informed. He and his disciples are informed that Lazarus has passed away. There in John chapter 11 and verse 8, it says, The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? See, Jesus said, you know what? We're, we're going to go back to Judea. I, I know that we were just there and the Jews had attempted to stone us, uh, but we're going to go back. We're going to go back and see Lazarus and his family. And, uh, and so the disciples, again, they said there in verse 8, uh, they were seeking to stone you and you were going to go again. But it's interesting because when you get down to verse 16, uh, Thomas speaks up. Now, we always remember Thomas as doubting Thomas. You know, we've given him that moniker, that nickname. But notice the words of Thomas in chapter 11, verse 18. Or excuse me, in chapter 16, or verse 16. Uh, Therefore, Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, 
Let us also go so that we may die with him. You know, Thomas spoke up on behalf of the Lord. And, and such an attitude that we see here in Thomas of a faithful sheep putting his complete trust in the decisions of the shepherd regardless of the consequences. Yeah, I know that if we go to Judea, uh, they might be there waiting to stone us. But if Jesus says, let's go, then let's go. You know, and many today need to be reminded of this aspect of sheephood, right? Thomas was ready to follow the Lord. Are we ready to follow the Lord in any circumstances? Again, because only those who hear Jesus's voice and follow him can be called his. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a very intimate image of God. It implies that we belong to him and we trust the shepherd in all decisions. And then finally, I want us to notice one more aspect of the shepherd. I shall not want. This is uh, the the ending of verse one. And again, I told you we were going to stick just to verse one here this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You know, imagine this morning, you know, looking into a lush, green, rolling pasture full of healthy sheep. You know, you draw your attention to one particular sheep. That's, you know, he's lying there comfortably uh, in the grass. He's perfectly content. He's well fed. He has no desire to be elsewhere. He's not agitated. He's not nervous. Uh, He's calm. He's carefree. He's satisfied of where he is. You know, this is the picture that David paints for us with that phrase, I shall not want. There is no greener pasture nor a shepherd more able to care for his soul. Psalm 121. Uh, I want to read this psalm to you. Notice uh, what it says, only eight verses. Psalm 121. The psalmist here writes, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He will keep you. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard you. You're doing, you're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and forever. I love verses three and four of that passage. The God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is continually watching over us, protecting us, keeping his eye on us. He won't allow your foot to slip, he says. And see, that's contentment to me. And David's contentment as well was not based on uh, his position in life. You know, of course, again, David was king. He had riches. He had glory. He had a kingdom. He had a nation, an army. But David's contentment was not fixed on the uncertainties of riches, but more of what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who is against us? You know, that's where David's contentment came was from his shepherd. You know, David's life was full of struggles. You know, the Philistines. The early battle with the Philistines, King Saul and the battles he had with him, the, the strife he had with his sons. He fought giants. He protected his, his, uh, his fold of sheep from a lion and a bear. He battled tens of thousands of foreign enemies. 
David's life was far, far from trouble-free. But yet he says he is content. I shall not want. That conveys that there is no other place for his soul to be incomplete, to be complete apart from his relationship from the shepherd. You know, the Apostle Paul also wrote about contentment as well. Notice in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 11 and 12, read this passage that, that Paul writes here in the book of Philippians, starting again in chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Paul says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. You know, Paul lived a life of contentment with the Lord. You know, his outside circumstances did not determine his inward contentment. You remember all the things that Paul went through in life? You know, he could be content in Acts chapter 16, but with his feet in the stocks and that inner jail in Philippi, of being beaten with rods, and yet he was there that night singing and praising God in, in song and praying. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 lists all the things that Paul went through. Spending a night and day in the sea, you know, wondering if he was going to be rescued, attacked by robbers, by his own countrymen, by Gentiles, being attacked in the city, being attacked in the wilderness, again in the sea, uh, being lost at sea. But yet, he tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, that he is convinced, that he is assured that God will take care of him. Again, I shall not want. How content are you and I this morning? Do we have that trust in our shepherd? Uh, I want to recall a story that I once heard uh, about two twin brothers. And I'm going to refer to the two, two twin brothers as Luke and Duke. And if you were with us at our, the Summer Youth Series, you know that... That might uh, be a little bit familiar to you, the, the, these two twins. But uh, Luke and Duke. Luke was content regardless of the circumstances. You know, he looked at things on the bright side. His glass was always half full, right? He was optimistic. He was determined to see the best in everybody, in all things in life. But then his brother Duke was the exact opposite. You know, nothing was ever right for Duke. Duke for Duke, his glass was always half empty. He was pessimistic. He refused to be content regardless of his circumstances. And so the boys' parents uh, experimented. They wanted to do an experiment with the two boys just to see how content and how discontent each boy could be. And so they put Duke in a room, again, the disgruntled boy in a room full of games and candy and toys and everything that that little boy could want. And then they put Luke in a horse stable full of horse manure. They left both boys in the room for an hour, and then they returned. And sure enough, nothing was right for Duke. You know, the candy had caused his stomach to hurt. The toys got really boring after a while. He just, he couldn't be happy. And the parents wondered if Luke had the same experience of an equally dismal hour. And so they opened the door to the barn, and they heard Luke laughing, and, and the horse manure was flying in the air. And they called the Luke, and, and Luke said, yeah, I'm having a great time. He figured that there was so much horse manure in that barn that there had to be a pony somewhere, and he was determined to find it. That's contentment. 
It's sad that many Christians cannot join with David in saying that they are content. But only by following the Lord can one truly say that they shall not want. David recognized his dependence on God for all his basic needs. Again, do we as well? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are all these things that he's talking about? All these things added to me? Well, he tells us in verse 25 and following. Food, you know, clothing, those types of things. God will provide for those who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. You know, he takes care of the birds of the air, as he said. He takes care of the, the lilies in the valley. Uh, all of those things he provides for, yet they aren't worth a soul, a human life. And yet God says, seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. David realized that he was in God's care and the loving shepherd would tend to all his needs. Again, his spiritual needs and his physical needs of the flock. Again, this morning, truly, this is a psalm of a hundred sermons. We could have gone in a whole uh, different direction. He restores my soul. You know, that's a great lesson for another time. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Again, we could talk about that in another sermon. Or, or my cup overflows. Again, there are just so many different directions we could have went with this psalm in these six verses. But King David could honestly say that God was his shepherd. The Lord was his shepherd. And so he, that's how he concludes this psalm, his shepherd psalm, in this confident assurance that he says that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so here, there are a few questions I want us to reflect on this morning, and I have them up on the board as well. But that can we say that we have followed the good shepherd through the green pastures of life as well as the dark valleys? You know, when times are going good, you know, we, we give God the glory. But what about when we're going through those dark valleys? You know, David still followed the Lord. Are you allowing him to be your shepherd or are you trying to take the lead? Right? There are so many times that, again, we want to go and do our own thing. But we need to remember that the shepherd uh, is shepherding us in this life. Uh, and then finally, the third question, can you say you have sought and found contentment in his care without looking to the sinful pleasures of this life? Again, can you find contentment in the Lord? Find contentment in this life? Or do we go in and look for uh, other things to find our contentment in? The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, our shepherd is trying to steer us away from those things. And so we need to continue to find contentment in the Lord. If we can say yes to those, then maybe we can truly appreciate the, the shepherd's psalm. Isaiah 53 verse 6 remind us that all of us are like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This morning as we offer the invitation. If you're here this morning and maybe have not obeyed the gospel. Isn't it time to follow the good shepherd? 
to become one of his sheep, no longer astray in this world to be part of his fold. You know, the Bible tells us to become uh, a child of God, that we must be in Christ. And to be in Christ, we must be baptized into Christ. Mark 16, verse 16 says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Or if you're here this morning, and maybe you have obeyed the gospel. Maybe you've uh, experienced being in the fold, being uh, in the flock of God, the church, you've, uh, but you've wandered off. You've wandered off. You've, you've seen the things of the world that enticed you and sort of like sheep, sometimes they wander off and they go and follow something else. And maybe that was you, but you're ready to come back. You're ready to come back because you know that shepherd is waiting, looking for you, that he's left his 99 to go out and search you. And find you, and maybe it's ready. you're ready to come home. If we can help you this morning in any of these things, if you need the prayers of the congregation, if you need encouragement as well, please let us know as together we stand and sing this song.